An Irish independent digital subscription doesn't just get you the news. It gets you the best of Ireland's stories all in one place. Whether it's the best of politics, business, sport, entertainment or lifestyle. Get it all for just €4 Euro a month for 12 months when you first subscribe. Visit independent.ie forward slash subscribe today. Irish Independent. Terms and conditions apply. Cancel any time. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by trichologist Claire Fulham, chatting all things hair loss. I remember then going, I'm losing a bit more hair. Like I could see hair everywhere. It was all okay. over my desk oh, wow. and work okay. everywhere. And so I went to my GP. She found five big patches on my scalp, one the size of my fist. So I was like, right, what am I going to do about this? Give me a plan. She just looked me dead in the eye and said, there's nothing you can do. I went on list for dermatologists. She had a cancellation and she very quickly said, yes, you have alopecia areata. As ever available on all podcast platforms. You're listening to the Indo Daily. And for something a little different, here's an episode from our new sister podcast, The Bell Tell. In this episode of The Bell Tell, Northern Ireland's Missing Women. It'll be 25 years in August. Since Ireland was taken away and murdered. Lisa was 25 when she died and went missing. She should now be 37. We walk away from here today knowing justice has been served, but we still don't have Charlotte's body home. Saoirse Smith was last seen in the city in April 2017. At the end of last year, the PSNI put out a missing person notice in relation to her. They are now calling it a murder inquiry. Five women murdered by men. Their bodies never found. Five families craving justice. I promised my father on his deathbed that I would never give up looking for Ireland. We should not be denied the right to be able to go bury, to bury our sister, to mourn her, and to lay flowers at her grave. My daughter Lisa deserves to be found and laid to rest with her mum. To me, she's not alive. Hasn't been in all these years. Who were these women? Who killed them? And will they ever get a proper burial? To tell their stories, I'm joined by the Belfast Telegraph security correspondent, Alison Morris. Alison, first of all, to start off, who were these women? I, you know, I'll start probably with the one that most people know, and that's, that's Lisa Dorian. Um, Lisa Dorian's family have run a very high-profile campaign, and it's to their credit that her name has remained in the media. Lisa went missing from a caravan in Ballyhalbert, on the Ards Peninsula in 2005. Um, her family knew very quickly that something wasn't right um, and reported her missing. She was reported as a missing person for a while and there were searches carried out um, before it was acknowledged quite quickly that she had been murdered, um, murdered by someone who was in her presence that night and her body secretly buried. There has been numerous searches carried out in relation to try and recover Lisa's remains. Her family remain really upbeat, you know. I have spoken to her sister Joanne quite a few times recently. She's the person who has dedicated, you know, her, her own life um, and much of her own life and free time to try and to recover um, Lisa's remains. Their, their mother died before Lisa could be found and, you know, it's the, the family's wish that she be buried with them, but then also run in parallel to that. So, you know, for these families you have two campaigns. So you have the campaign for the return of the remains and then you have the campaign to get some kind of justice for their loved one's murder and in Lisa's case there has been no justice in relation to that either. There are suspects in that case, they are very well known, their names are known locally. They are the only suspects in that case um, and, but the fact is it's getting enough evidence to get that prosecution over, over the line. Today we're making this video appeal as it's been 12 years since our sister went missing but this appeal is specifically to the person who was with Lisa at the moment she died. We don't need to remind you how beautiful, funny and loving Lisa was. You know that. 
because you knew her. She thought you were her friend. Lisa trusted you. Um, in the meantime, the family have a, a quite a significant reward because they would hope that someone would come forward, someone who was maybe told something by one of these men. You know, we have people who have close friendships with people at the time these crimes are committed. They're given, you know, information or trusted with information, but those friendships don't always last, you know, and those, those relationships sometimes break down. And the family's hope is that there's someone who's living with information on their conscience, that they, they feel that they would be lightened by um, relaying that back to the family and allowing them to find the remains. And they say that these two things are completely different, you know, not to confuse the police investigation, the campaign for justice for Lisa from their campaign, which is purely about getting Lisa's remains back. And Lisa, the person, what can you tell us about her? Well, you know, when you, you speak to Lisa's sister, Joanna, about her face lights up. So Lisa was the life and soul of the party. She loved dance music. She loved at the time when she went missing, there would have been a sort of big ray of dance music sort of culture. Um, Lisa was the first person to get up and dance at every family event. She loved fashion. She loved clothes. Um, and she was looking forward to going travelling. Um, she was due a, a sort of compensation period. I think she'd been in some sort of an accident and, and she had that money coming to her and had said that she wanted to go travelling with that money. And, you know, had a a very loving family, you know, very loving sisters, very close family, a very loving mother and father. Um, she came from a very, very good home. The problem that arose in Lisa's life was that she'd been in a, a long-term relationship or someone, a very stable relationship, and that broke up. But when the relationship broke up, the friendship group um, were all friends of both. And so she felt that she couldn't socialise because she'd have been socialised in the company of her ex-boyfriend. So that was how she ended up going out and trying to sort of find new friends. And while doing that, she fell into the company of people who she wouldn't have usually been in the company of, people who were into drugs, people who were into criminality and people who were of a sort of social group that Lisa's family weren't aware of. They didn't really know these people very well. Her sister Joanne took part in the Badlands BBC documentary and, you know, she put it really well when she says, you know, these people didn't care about her sister. They didn't care. Even when she went missing, they didn't care. They weren't her real friends, you know. And there have been suggestions that there was some sort of paramilitary link to Lisa. Where do we stand on that now? The family seemed to think that the, the paramilitary link was actually linked by the people who were responsible for her murder to try and sort of cloud, cloudy the sort of picture um, and to try and attract attention from them. You know, they do not believe now that there was paramilitary involvement or a paramilitary cover-up. Bally Halbert, Caravan Park. What do we know about how Lisa lost her life? The police combed that caravan every inch of it for forensic details, you know, and for any forensic links that might have given a clue as to how Lisa lost her life. The only thing that they do know is there wasn't, you know, blood or anything like that in the caravan. So that wasn't how Lisa died. Um, I suppose, and this is only speculation because her body's never been recovered, the most likely um, way that she died was that she has been strangled and therefore there hasn't been any blood or anything that could be picked up by forensic officers and then the person who killed her with the help of someone else disposed of her body Bally, Bally Halbert you know popular in the summer but quite a bleak place you know in the winter and in the bad weather and there's a lot a lot of waste ground a lot of very wet waste ground close to that um, there was rumours at the time about boats and all sorts of things that has all been ruled out and Lisa 
his family believe she is somewhere in the vicinity of that caravan park. The problem is they need to know, even with modern technology and with the modern mapping technology that has been used to return some of the victims of the conflict disappeared, they need at least a general area, you know, an area going down to like less than a quarter of a mile. I think for people listening, they might think, you know, somebody else helped the killer dispose of the body. I mean, I've helped mates out, but I can't imagine doing that for someone. Yeah. And that's that's it. When you have that sort of bond and that type of criminality, it's very hard for the one person or the other person to break, and only those those people know. Um, Lisa was tiny. I have met her sister, and you know you can see in pictures they're of a pretty similar size. She, they are tiny little petite girls. They're very small. They're very slight. They're very lightly made up. Um, and they believe, you know, that they he required someone else and they basically carried her to wherever they were going to dump her um, and wherever they've, they've put her remains. So um, the fact is that, you know, he enlisted the help of someone who they're now, I suppose, in some sort of unholy alliance. And do they need one of them or the other one of them to break? Not necessarily. I mean, during the course of the time that has passed since, you know, they're pretty sure that one of them or more has divulged details to someone we see this in other court cases where people have told information, you know, to ex-partners or to people, you know, it's, I suppose we call a pillow talk, don't we, where people have revealed details to people and then those relationships break down. Someone can be living with something that they're finding very difficult and one day they can say, no, I'm, I'm not living with this anymore and I'm going to come forward. And that's what they're hoping because they only need it to be narrowed down to a certain area. And another notorious case which everyone listening I think or most people listening will have heard of is is that of Arlene Arkinson. The Arlene Arkinson case distresses me so much because of her age. Arlene was 15. 15 is a child. So Arlene who was from Tyrone uh, went missing in August 1984. She had had a night out in Bundoran which would have been quite a popular place for people from Tyrone to go to at that time for, for a night out. Um, and she was last seen being driven in a, a car by Robert Howard, who is a notorious paedophile. Um, the, the inquest into Arlene's death, which concluded um, in last year, just in 2021, the coroner had ruled and found that the convicted, he's a convicted child killer and rapist, Robert Howard, um, was responsible for Arlene's murder, but her family have never had her remains. Um, the... the Corner, and this is a case, you know, I remember even reading the coroner's report at the time, he said that Robert Hall was a violent sex offender, the last person to see, to be seen with Arlene on the 14th of August, was responsible for her death. The mechanism of her death is unknown. I think it's that word mechanism, do you know what I mean? It just, it sounds so sort of cold. But the fact is, you know, this is a teenage girl. And in terms of geographical search area, with Lisa Dorian, there at least is the, the, the PSNI believe they have some idea of where she might be. But that's not the case with Arlene Arkinson, is it? No, I know. And, and, you know, I would I would be shocked if they were ever, I hate to say that, but if they were ever able to find um, Arlene's remains. I mean, the fact is that, you know, Howard died and he died in prison. He died in prison in 2015. He is probably the only person who knows where where she is or where he placed her and that's that's the, the, the problem that they have um, Hard was charged with Arlene Arkinson's murder 
um, he stood trial, but he was he was acquitted in relation to that, and that was because the the jury weren't allowed to have what we call bad character evidence, which is when you disclose a person's previous convictions. And again, there's a family. There's a family who have never forgot about Arlene, and they, they they've always continued their search. And again, it's a it's a case which has had quite a quite a high profile. Yeah, Kathleen is Arlene's sister, and she's the person who has sort of spearheaded that campaign, and she has tried, but. With the death of Howard probably disappeared any chance of them ever receiving any kind of of justice for Arlene in terms of of finding her remains. I am still searching for a body. What else can I do? What else would anybody expect me to do? Despite what has happened, I want a Christian burial for my sister. Um, I think that most people will be stressed if they think of, you know, a very young girl, a very vulnerable young girl, as any young girl would be at that age, you know, taking a lift home with someone in the dead of night and then never reaching their destination. And the fact that the person she was with was such a violent um, predator, you know, it's, it's, it must be awful. I mean, I don't know how her family live in terms of that because they don't know her last minutes and they don't know what happened to her. But the fact is that, you know, the you could paint a picture and you can imagine what happened to Arlene. Saoirse Smith, her case has never had the profile that the previous two cases have had. Saoirse was treated as, as a missing person for a very long time. She wasn't even treated, her death wasn't even treated as a murder. She was 28 when she went missing and her, her 28 years on this earth had not been easy years. Um, she lost her mother when she was five years old. Her mother died in a, a car crash on, on the way home from the night out. Her father was someone who would have been in and out of prison and she wouldn't really had much of a relationship with in her early childhood. And she went to live along with her siblings, with her, her grandmother, who had a large family of her own. Um, you know, from I have spoke to her grandmother, Fira, who's a lovely woman, and she tried very hard, I think, to raise all these children as best as she could. But once they all had their teenage years... Um, they all had a lot of a lot of problems, and and you know, Sisha wasn't wasn't alone. Her siblings had problems as well. Um, and once she was sort of fifteen or sixteen, she wanted to go out on her own. She left she left home, um, and she developed a very bad drug habit. At one stage, her family were aware that she was taking drugs, and she was with people who she shouldn't be with. The last time her grandmother heard of her, she was living in Uri. Um, she'd called up to, to see her grandmother in her house in West Belfast. She'd spoken to her, she borrowed money off her, and then she left again, and her granny didn't see her again after that. Um, eventually, she was reported missing. It was saying that she was last seen sometime around April 2017. The house where she'd been living in Nary, police searched that. They actually dug part of the garden of it to see if, if she was there. Um, she wasn't, and then the investigation took a strange twist because then Angarda um, Shikana became involved in it because they had information that had came through intelligence that um, she had crossed the border, she had been in Omeath, and she had been in Omeath with someone who would be very well known to police. He was quite someone who is quite senior in the sort of drug world. It's someone who would be. Um, who would be known to be involved in a sort of higher level end of, of drug dealing. That person was last seen with Saoirse in Omeath and they believe that she is buried somewhere in Omeath. Um, you know, police did search, I think it was 2019. They brought specialist dogs to the area and specialist equipment and, and tried to search it. They carried out an examination of a house in, in Omeath, but they have been unable at this stage to be able to find 
um, anything which would lead them to, to where Saoirse's remains are. The PSNI decided today to escalate the search into a murder investigation. They are now calling it a murder inquiry. The Gardaí, in cooperation with the PSNI, have been carrying out a search of the cottage behind me during the course of today. But my understanding at this stage, Keelan, is to date nobody has been recovered. I find it probably one of the, the saddest cases that I've ever covered because there aren't really any pictures of her. You know, her, her granny says she didn't like cameras, she didn't like getting her photo taken. She was very self-conscious. The pictures that we have of her are pictures that were taken inside a police station, the police mugshots. When her granny dies and her granny's in her 70s and she's not in great health, there isn't really anyone to carry on, you know, the campaign looking for, you know. And I always find with these cases, while I'm not saying that the, the police don't care and they don't do their job, but if there's not someone constantly ringing them up and knocking their door saying, tell me what you're doing next, tell me what the next stage of this investigation is, what do you plan to do next, well then it can sort of go off the radar and, and I think that's, that's the problem with this case. You know, the person who was last with her is known. The fact that she has been murdered is known. The fact that she is buried somewhere in Omeath is known. But, you know, where exactly is she in finding her? What made me so sad was Saoirse's wee life was just full of tragedy. You know, it really was. It was just full of tragedy right up until her death. Charlotte Murray. She was last seen in 2012, reported missing in early 2013. Now, someone has been convicted of Charlotte's murder. Which is legally fascinating because it's so rare, so, so rare that you would get a conviction for murder in the absence of a body. Um, Charlotte again you know Charlotte had a loving family Charlotte was an identical twin her sister um, and her and Sinead her, you know, had shared this this bond that only identical twins have you know where they can almost feel each other's pain um, they were both you know Sinead describes them both as being two tomboys that they'd rather have played football or climbed trees rather than played with dolls and prams Um they were very, very close, but Charlotte had been in a relationship with a guy called Johnny Miller and it was not a good relationship. It was a violent relationship. He was eventually found guilty um, in it was February 2020 and he was told he must serve a minimum of 16 years of his life sentence. But despite being found guilty and he um, disputed his guilt, so there was a full jury trial into that, um, he has not revealed the whereabouts of where he placed Charlotte's remains. Um, and that's what I, you know, what's interesting about, I suppose, about this case is that legally her family have received that justice, that judicial justice that the Dorians and those other families are still searching for. They have managed to get a conviction, but they haven't managed to get the other strand of that done, which is they haven't managed to find her remains. It may come to the point where when all appeals processes are exhausted and Miller realises that, you know, the game is up, he is not getting out of prison, will he then hand over her, her remains? The family aren't taking any chances, so they have started a campaign for Charlotte's Law, which is, you know, it's a law that exists in other jurisdictions. They have been meeting with politicians, they have been lobbying anyone in the justice system who will listen to them um, for a law that says if you are convicted of murdering someone and you do not reveal the whereabouts of their body, well then your parole is impacted by that. We ask our local politicians to bring into place Charlotte's Law to compel murderers such as Mr Miller to divulge the location of their victims 
feeling this, they should not stand a chance of getting parole. No family should ever have to suffer like this. We should not be denied the right to be able to go bury our sister, to mourn her and to lay flowers at her grave. I do think that one or the other, when I was, you know, sort of researching to write about these stories, that struck me is, you know, I've been a journalist for over 20 years and I've reported throughout a large proportion of that time on what we call the disappeared, those victims of RA, um, RA violence. And as, you know, and I've watched as the Disappeared Commission have traced those remains, the sort of joy that those families feel, despite the fact they've always known that their loved one was never coming back, but to finally be able to put them at rest. Um, and you're saying, you know, sisters, siblings being responsible then for organising funerals, but at least they have somewhere to go and place a bunch of flowers to say a prayer, you know, just to know that at least in their death they've done the right thing by them and buried them and give them a final rest in place. So, Alison, who was Caroline Graham? Caroline Graham was a 19-year-old young woman who had originally came from Newry but was had been living in, in Portadown at the, the time of her disappearance. There has always been a, a suspect. There only is one suspect, as in with most of these cases. Police know who was responsible. They just don't have the evidence to convict him. But in this case, there's a very definite suspect, a, a Portadown man who was much, much older. And in a, I think it was in 2018, maybe the BBC tracked this man down and actually confronted him and asked him, um, was he responsible for her murder? This came after an appeal by Caroline's mother, Barbara, who just said that there had been no justice for her, but also no justice, not just for her daughter, but no justice for her family, because everyone knows what happened, but yet they still have no no body to return or, or to bury. And what do people think happened to Caroline? The suspect who, in this case, that they believe that there had been some sort of inappropriate relationship between him and, and Caroline and he had been very domineering over her and that he murdered her and buried her. The issue is where he buried her. There has been searches for her as there there has and police have arrested this man up to a dozen, you know, half a dozen times and questioned him. It wasn't that the police were not being proactive in this case at the very start, they really were. Um, but he refuses to either admit that he had involvement in it or to reveal the whereabouts of um, Caroline's body. And, you know, we look through these cases and they're all very sad, but Caroline was a very, very young woman. She'd been raised in Newry. She was a, a former pupil of, of Newry High. She'd went to Bombridge High School as well. But she'd been living in a, a hostel and then jumping between that and an address in, in a place in Hanover Street and poured it down when she disappeared. She was last seen sometime around Easter 1989. She'd been on a, a night out with one of her mates in Banbridge. Um, afterwards, it's thought that she went and spent part of the night with her friend in the, the hostel and poured it down. But by the morning when her, her friend woke up, she was gone. Detectives changed her from a missing person to a murder investigation in August 2012 after they'd received some new leads that led them to believe that she wasn't just missing, that she had been murdered. Um, they've carried out searches, they've used sniffer dogs, but but nothing has been found. But they do believe that Caroline's remains are somewhere in the Portadown area. You know, someone knows where she is, you know, and, and the information that they need to return her remains to her family so that they could bury her mother's not getting any younger. I can't show a death certificate. It's have nothing. I don't know what to do anymore. So I don't. Like, you do need it. I need something to prove that she's either alive or dead, and I haven't got it. 
these families have no closure. You know, in some ways, they know their loved one isn't going to walk back through the door again. They know they're not just missing, they know they're dead, but they don't have any closure in terms, they don't have a grave to go to, they don't have a place to lay flowers. You know, and, and I think it's that knowing that a body of someone you loved could be lying somewhere, you know, a really undignified place, a really undignified way for them to end their lives. And in most of these cases, when I speak to the families, while they would love justice and someone to be convicted, that is never their main priority. Their main priority is, you know, return, please return our, our loved one's remains. And Caroline's family are, are still very much looking for... Yeah, it's been a few years from her mother did a public appeal. But yeah, she has a, a family who, you know, loved her dearly and really do want to have her returned and ha- and have her given a, a, a proper burial. Um, and that's the same with all these cases. You know, it's it's they're very sad and they're very sad and tragic. But the thing is that the tragedy never had a conclusion. There's nowhere, there's been no burial and there's been no return. And I think that that's one of the most tragic things about them. Alison Morris, security correspondent with the Belfast Telegraph. Thank you. This episode of The Bell Tale was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar, sound designed by Graham Davidson. The clips were from PA, the BBC, RTE and UTV.